Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Christina. Well, stand with me this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look really great. You look marvelous. You look good. We're on a series called Extraordinary Faith. And how many of you know faith is vital to our walk with God? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we've learned some things about faith. And one of the things we learned is that faith gives us access. And I, I told a story this morning. We went on a cruise about 14 years ago. And uh, the boys were smaller. And Matt and Sam were probably preteen, somewhere in there. And we lost them. And how many of you know if you lose your kids, you, you get a little... And, you know, they can't go far. We're on a cruise ship. So uh, we looked for them. We found them, and they were in a reception. So I went up to the door to try to get our kids out, and uh, it was a private captain's reception, black tie. And the guy at the door said, Sir, you can't come, up, come in here. This is a private reception. And I looked through, and back in the back, is Matt and Sam with a little bit of plate and they got food and this waving wave at you, you know. I guess they thought they were the captain's kids or somebody's important kids, you know. But how many of you know we can boldly come before the throne of grace and go where the shrimp cocktail is and all the goodies is. But, but listen, faith gives us access, right? I want to give you one verse we're going to read together. This is in the Psalms, so if you have your Bible, uh, pick it up. If not, look at the screen. Psalm 56, verse 3. This is a Psalm of David. He says, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. So can we read that together? Here we go. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Now let's all say it together with some gusto. Here we go. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Father, thank you for our time together. Bless us. Let our ears be open to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. <clears throat> Heard about two men who went camping, and uh, while they were out camping up north in the woods, they encountered this huge bear. And this bear kind of rose up and growled at him, and one turned to the other and said, Now listen, don't run. We read the camping book, and you don't run from bears. You try to make yourself look larger. You wave your hands. You holler. You scream. And the one guy turned to this other, and he said, You know, I read the book, and you read the book. I'm not for sure the bear read the book. <laughs> Sometimes we got to look at the book and say, this is what the book says, but not a camping book. How many of you know God's book tells us what to do and how to look forward in faith? Now, I want you to look at this. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. You see, we, we, we have this uh, connection, and we all have it, between trust and fear. You can either live in fear or you can live in trust. We can trust God. And trust is so much better than fear, right? Confidence and security and hope and fear is I'm afraid, uh, I dread, I'm terrified, I, I, you know, I'm paralyzed in this. You know, I, I like one, one guy, he, he wrote this, and, and I brought it this morning, and I think you'll identify with it. He said, my great-grandfather rode a horse but was afraid of the train. My grandfather rode the train but was afraid of cars. My father rode in a car but was afraid of airplanes. Now, I ride in an airplane, but I'm afraid of a horse. 
You notice how this cycles around? So yesterday's fear becomes today's fear. and What people went through 2,000 years ago, we're still going through today. How many of you know humanity is just humanity? We have these feelings, we have these issues, and we all face them. Look at verse 4 there in Psalm chapter 56. In God I will trust, I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now your attention please. If you look at the beginning of that uh, chapter, it says a Psalm of David when he is in Gath with the Philistines. Now, I read this, and this is going to kind of freak you out. Before he went to Gath, to Philistia, he goes to the priest, says, we're hungry, do you have any bread? The priest says, the only bread we have is the shoe bread, or the bread we lay before the Lord, but we've recirculated, we put new bread out, we got the old bread, David says, give me the old bread. He says, do you have any weapons here? I don't have a sword. He said, the only sword I have is the sword you left here some days ago, it's the sword of Goliath. So he takes the sword of Goliath. How many of you know that was one big honking sword? So, if you are David, the giant killer, and you got Goliath's sword on your hip, how many of you know it may not be a good idea to go to Gath? Because that's Goliath's hometown. Duh. So my first question is, David, why are you in Gath? And here's the answer. Because Saul has been hunting him down day by day and week by week and month to month. And Saul is determined with his army, I'm going to kill David. I'm going to hunt him down like a dog. And so David is going from cave to cave, pillar to post, town to town, city to city. And he decides, okay, if I go to Philistia, Saul can't come here because that's the enemy of the Israelites. So he can't follow me here. So I'll go to Philistia. And this is what he's saying. Let me jump out of the frying pan into the pot and from the pot to the frying pan. And he ends up in Philistia with the sword of Goliath in Goliath's hometown. And the Philistines are around him. And how many of you know it's not a good place to be in? Can I hear an amen? But notice what David says. Whenever I'm afraid... I'm going to trust in you. In God I trust. I'm not afraid what mere mortals can do to me. Verse 11, in God I trust. I'm not afraid what man can do to me. But look at verse 12. He says, your vows are upon me, O God. Your vows are upon me, O God. I mean, you know, when we use the term vows, we were always in a wedding, right? So what is David saying? Vows is another word for promise. Your promises are on me, O oh God. And I'm thinking, if I can get into the mind of David, what David is thinking, I think he's thinking this. Lord, I remember when I was a teenager, the prophet poured the oil on my head and said, David, you are going to be the next king. So God, whenever I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in you because I believe you're going to keep your promises to me right now. Even though I'm in a bad place, your promises are better than my fear. And let me tell you something, friends. We have fear that grips us or could grip us all the time. Do you realize over 50 times the Bible says, don't be afraid, do not fear? I'm, I'm thinking, why does he have to tell us this over and over and over and over again? Because your human tendency is to what? Be afraid. And everywhere you go, whatever you encounter... Your health, your finances, your job, your children, your grandchildren, North Korea. 
I mean, there, there's so many things out there that are just looming, and we could be gripped by fear. And so what are we learning from David? David says, okay, God, I'm not going to be afraid because my trust is in you. Your promises are greater than my fear. Now, I'm going to read something to you. When we are alerted to danger, the hypothalamus activates two systems, the sympathetic nervous system, the adrenal cortical system. The sympathetic nervous system uses nerve pathways to initiate reactions in the body. And the adrenaline cortical system uses the bloodstream. The combined effects of these two initiate a response. When the hypothalamus tells the sympathetic nervous system to kick into gear, the overall effect is that the body speeds up, tenses up, becomes generally very alert. The sympathetic nervous system sends out impulses to the glands. The smooth muscles tells the adrenal medulla to release uh, an eprim, adrenaline, into the bloodstream. These stress hormones cause several changes in the body, including an increased heart rate, blood pressure. You know what that just said? You got afraid. That's the medical term you just feared. And, and when you were afraid, your body chemically reacted. And there's usually two reactions. It's either fight or flight. Right? We either run from it or we engage it. And I want to talk to you this morning how fear and unbelief sabotages our life and our faith. If you have a pencil and paper, get them out right now. I'm going to give you seven things from now to 2 o'clock. Um, maybe not. I'm going to give you seven things very quickly on how fear and unbelief tends to sabotage our lives. Here's the first one. It makes me feel like I'm undeserving. It makes me feel like I'm undeserving. Now, I want to give you a verse. This is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and let me set it up. Remember when Jesus is traveling around the Sea of Galilee teaching? He's up by the region of Capernaum, and he has a large crowd, and he goes to the fishermen, and he says, Gentlemen, can I use your boat? So Jesus gets in the boat. They pull the boat up to the shore. The people around the, the Sea of Galilee on the, the sides of the bank, and Jesus steps up to the bow of the ship. What's he doing? Now he's teaching them. He has this huge audience. He's teaching them from the ship. We're going to pick up the story. He turns to the fishermen. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch or a draught. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now that's a lot of fish. Have you ever caught so many fish it was sinking the boat? Let's just talk here for a minute. I mean, I've never caught that many fish of you. They caught so many fish. That they filled the boat with so many fish their boat is so heavy in the water, it's been, begin to sink. They called the other boat in. They, they, they filled that boat up. I always say this. They didn't quit fishing because there was no more fish. They quit fishing because there was no more capacity to receive the fish. So here both boats are. They're full of fish. They begin to sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful 
man, O Lord. What is that? When Peter realized the miracle-working power of Jesus, when he began to see who Jesus really is and was, Peter had this aversion. He drew back and he says, Lord, get back from me. I'm a sinful, wicked person. Sometimes in our life, the very thing we need, we push away. And you've done it. And I've done it. The very thing we need, the very person Peter needed, he began to say, get back. I, I, I need to have some distance here. What's going on with Peter? I, I think Peter is seeing himself the way that he sees himself. And he thinks he's undeserving of this. And sometimes you've been there, haven't you? Lord, I, I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be a part of your kingdom. I don't deserve to be successful. I don't deserve to be happy. Peter saw himself as wicked and evil and unworthy. He saw himself in his current state, but he could not see himself outside of that. And let me tell you something. It takes faith to see yourself beyond where you are. And he says, Lord, get back from me. And listen, you've done this. You've pushed away the very thing you desperately need. You know what teenagers do sometimes? I, I, you know, I know about this. I've, I've raised some boys. The discipline they need, the parameters they need, the structure they need. You know what sometimes kids do? They push that away. The very thing they need, that's what they rebel against. And usually, you know, you're about 30, then you realize how smart your parents were. Because now you got kids, and you're in trouble. And you're thinking, oh, wow, my dad was so much smarter than I thought he was. My mom was so much smarter than I thought she was. Sometimes in our life, the very thing we need, we begin to push it away. Because we just don't feel worthy. We, we don't feel like that we are deserving of that. So let's confess something. I did this in the early service. So here you go. Raise up your right hand. We're, we're, we're confessing here. Follow me. I know I'm not deserving. I know that I've sinned. I know I've failed. Okay, now we got that out of the way. You are exactly right. You're exactly right. Once you get past that, that's what the love and grace of God is all about. Peter didn't understand. Pete, listen. You are a sinful person. You have failed. You, you are wicked. You are evil. But that's why Jesus came. Because we need a Savior. Can I hear an amen? And he is pushing away the very one that he desperately needs. That's what God's grace and love is all about. It reaches out and pulls us in, and his righteousness and his mercy and his goodness by faith is imparted to us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Can I hear an amen? Now, I would love to tell you that Peter never did this again, but he did. When Jesus is arrested that night, they take him to the high priest's home. They're trying him. They're slapping him and beating him, and they're humiliating him. And Peter followed Jesus afar off, according to Scripture. And when they're outside, picture in your mind, they're in the high priest's palace or home. 
or mansion, whatever you want to call it, and somewhere out in the courtyard, there's a group of people that's gathered because something's going on in Jerusalem. There's a lot of hubbub, there's a lot of activity, there's torches, there, there's soldiers, there's people moving in the night, and there they are, early in the morning, and Peter's out there on the fringe. How many of you know it's not always good to be on the fringe? He's out on the fringe, they're in conversation, and someone says, hey, I think you're one of his disciples. Oh, not me, not me. Someone says, oh yeah, I think you're one of his. A young lady comes up and says, I, I think you're one of his. And even gets to the point where they say your speech is giving you away because you have that Galilean dialect. You sound like you're from Texas. <laughs> and you know what Peter did? He cursed. And he says, I don't know him. You know what Peter's doing? The same thing he did before. He tries to distance himself from Jesus. The very one he needs, he distanced himself from. You think we're ever guilty of that? I think we are. We need a mentor. We need a teacher. We need a savior. We need a mom. We need a dad. We need a friend. We need somebody. But we don't think they would like us. We're, we're, we're unworthy. So, so we, we push them away. And guess what Jesus does? Aren't you glad Jesus is Jesus? A few days later, after the resurrection, they're out fishing again. Jesus shows up at the shore. He's making breakfast. Peter comes to shore, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Do you realize Jesus asked Peter if he loved him the exact same amount of times that Peter denied him? Jesus wanted Peter to know, I love you. I know who you are. I know your faults. I know your failures. I know all the things you've done, but you are my child and don't push me away. And let me tell you something. Fear and unbelief will push things away from you. It will make us feel like we are undeserving. Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas are preaching. They have went out on their missionary journeys. I want to pick it up in verse 46. Paul's preaching to the Jews. And when Paul and Barnabas grew bold, they said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Your attention, please. Paul didn't judge them unworthy. Barnabas didn't judge them unworthy. God didn't judge them unworthy. But they felt unworthy themselves not to accept the message. You and I have to be careful because fear and unbelief will cause us not to feel like we're deserving. And folks, that's what God's love and grace is all about. It's his great love that makes us able to receive it, and we do it by faith. Here's the second thing. Why don't we move forward in faith? Because we have been programmed by other people's perception of us. Do you know people will project their perception of you on you? And we have to be careful that we don't pick that up. Acts 4, 13, we picked the story up, but let me give you a little background. Peter and John are traveling by the beautiful gate. There's a lame man there. He's been lame for years and years and years. People walk by, he's begging for money. And when Peter and John came by, they said, we don't really have any money to give you, but we do have something to give you. 
And Peter reached his hand out, took him, and he said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately, this guy received a miracle. The Bible says, Strength came to his ankle bones, and he leaped up, praising God, ran into the temple, worshiping, and everybody saw this great miracle. It caught the attention of everybody around the temple mount, even the high priest and those who are in control of that area. So they bring in Peter and John, look at this, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know what their perception, first of all, of Peter and John was? These guys are hicks. These guys are Oklahoma rednecks. And that's all right with me. They had some type of perception of who they were. I would like to tell you that uh, that doesn't happen today, but it happens all the time. It's not just them in the New Testament happened to. Let's go back a, a few years. Remember when they're trying to cross into the promised land, the spies go out? Remember the last line of the negative spies report? This is what they look like, and this is what we look like. We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Where did they get that perception? From the way that they looked at them, they picked it right up. We look like grasshoppers. There are children and young people and wives and even husbands that are facing this every week. Why can't you be like, why are you so dumb? Why are you so stupid? Why can't you make good grades? You're going to end up in jail. And some of you here today, you've heard some of those things. And it's hurtful. It's, it's horrible. It's scarring. It can be life-changing. Do not let someone else's perception of you become your reality. Because that's not who you are. But if you don't watch it, it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to end up in jail. You're never going to amount to anything. You can't learn. You're not college material. You'll probably end up in prison. You can't start your own business. Why can't you be like your sister? Why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like him? Why can't you be like her? Listen, the lack of faith and fear will cause you to buy in to somebody else's perception about you. Don't believe their word. Believe God's word. If you believe God's word, you'll be okay. If you believe their word, it will attach to you and it will define you. Well, you're fat. You're skinny. You're too tall. You're too small. Folks, God created you. Now, I'm not saying let's do everything we can on this. Let's help it out as much as we can. Amen, Brother Mike. <laughs> but I have been created and made by a Savior that loves me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and so are you. But people will try to define you. They will program your mind of their perception, and it 
turns into your perception, and you and I have to reject it by faith and not buy into it. Believe the Word of God. Believe the Word of God. Here's the third thing. I just see myself as ordinary. When the lack of faith comes, fear comes, well, Pastor Mike, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm just an ordinary woman. I, I, I'm not anything special. Hey, if God loves you, and he does, you're extra special. You're the apple of his eye. God cares about you. He loves you. Jesus died for you. Let's go back to Peter for a second. First Peter chapter 2. Um, this is several years after Peter told the Lord to get away from me. You know, I'm a sinful person to get back from me. I, I think that the reason I brought this, and, and I want to talk about it, is because I think Peter's perception changed over the years. How many of you know that something about a relationship with God will change you and change your perception? So Peter, who are you? So the Holy Spirit's moving upon Peter, and he's writing these words. This is verses 9 and 10. And he begins to describe who we are, and he says, You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own special people, and you are walking in the light, and you are not walking in darkness. Peter says, That's who you are. When before, he's saying, Lord, Get away from me because I am a sinful person. Peter's whole perception is now changing. He's saying, I am not ordinary. I am someone special. I'm wondering if Peter's perception has been on this journey of change of perception. And let me tell you why I'm thinking this. Do you remember when he's in Joppa and he's up on the rooftop and he takes a nap in the afternoon? How many of you know the difference between a nap and a power nap? A nap's just a nap. Power nap, you get under the covers, okay? I thought I'd just throw that in for you. So this afternoon, you can take a nap or a power nap. So Peter's just taking a nap. He's eating. It's in the evening. It's not time for dinner. He's taking a nap. And the Lord begins to speak to him through a vision. Remember the vision? A sheet, a tablecloth, if you will, began to let down from heaven, and all these different foods are on top of this tablecloth. And these foods are the foods that really aren't clean under the old Levitical order or the old Levitical law. And the voice says, Peter, rise, slay and eat. And Peter says, oh, no, no, you eat that. That's unclean. It happens, it happens, it happens the third time. Listen in verse 15, Acts 10, the voice spoke to him a second time. What God has cleansed, do not call common. Folks, he said that about food, but he was setting Peter up. I mean, no, God will set you up. The message wasn't really about food, although there is a message in that about food, I believe. The message is that until this time, the, the gospel's being preached to the Jews, and now the Lord is going to bring a whole group of Gentiles in, and Peter's first reaction is going to be, I can't preach to the Gentiles because they're ordinary, common, and unclean. And God is saying, listen, Peter, that's not true. Everybody's special to me. 
Don't call them common. Don't call them unclean. Peter, get ready. I'm doing something different here. Don't see yourself as just ordinary. How many of you know you're extraordinary with God? God takes the natural and turns it into the supernatural. And if I walk in fear and not faith, I'll think myself that way. I'm not worthy. I'm ordinary. Here's the fourth thing. Unbelief and fear will cause me to resist growth and change. Unbelief and fear will cause me to resist growth and change. I mean, you do know that sometimes we're very resistant to change. And the world is always changing. The gospel doesn't change. God doesn't change. But I'm telling you, we're in a changing world today. And you and I have to be relevant. We have to be on point here. We need to be ready to do what God is doing. In Acts chapter 7, it's the first recorded martyrdom of a young man by the name of Stephen. Stephen is one of the young men chosen to minister in the church. You'll recognize in Acts chapter 6, there was more ministry than there was ministers. They needed help. They need people to step up. How many of you know a growing church needs people to step up? And this young man by the name of Stephen is one of the young men who stepped up. And he's taking care of the widows and he's taking care of families. And, and guess what? Through his ministry, God's doing signs and wonders and miracles and he's preaching the gospel. And when he did, those Jews in control didn't like it. They brought him up. They're getting ready to stone him and kill him. And listen to what he says, verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. You know what he's saying? God is doing something here and you're resisting it. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the old covenant. He's bringing in a new covenant based on better blood, better promises. He is the Savior. It's not the Lamb at Passover. It's the Lamb of God, Jesus. And Stephen says, you are resisting this and you are not pleasing God, and they killed him for it. If we walk in unbelief and fear, we will have a resistance to the things that God's doing in our life. Here's number five. Unbelief can keep me in fear of disappointment and failure. You say, what does that mean, Pastor Mike? It means I can't handle this job. What if they don't like me? What if I can't keep up this level of service or this level of sales? What if this doesn't work out? I've tried this before and I've failed. So either I don't try or I quit and give up. And many people do. They just give up. They just give up. The greatest fear that we should have is the fear of not doing anything. Because the enemy wants to keep you and I in fear that if we do something, we might fail. Well, I can't go try to make that friend. They may reject me. I can't go that new class because what if they look at me when I walk in? Yeah, right, they will. Well, what if I start this new job? What if I start this? What if I start that? Folks, we have to have faith and trust that God is always with us, amen? And, and we're moving out. We're launching. Don't get to the point where you live in this disappointment mindset or this failure mindset because if you do, if I do, I will always be hesitant to move forward in faith because I'm afraid I'm going to fail when I get out there. You know, someone said the best way to die is to have all your family and your friends and your wife and your kids and your grandkids around you. They're all saying, oh, we love you, Dad. See you in heaven. 
One of the worst ways to die is to have all the things you could have done and you should have done around you. And there you are on your deathbed and they're around you and they would say, I'm the book you never wrote and I'm the building you never built and I'm the relationship you never made and I'm the marriage you never saved and I'm the business you never built and here's the thing you didn't try and here's this that you didn't do and here's this you didn't do. How many of you know we need to have faith to do what we can do in the power of Almighty God? Not to be in disappointment or fear. Well, if I try, I may fail. Guess what? You're going to fail. You okay? I mean, I love you enough to tell you you're, you're going to fail. You're going to go out there and you're going to go. But you know what a righteous man does? If he falls down, he'll just keep getting up and he keeps getting up and he keeps getting up and he keeps getting up and he just keeps on getting up. Guess what you can do? Same thing. Or we can say, I, I can't do that, I may fail. Can't do that, may get disappointed. Well, just get that out of the way, right? Here's the sixth thing. Unbelief and fear isolates me. Unbelief and fear isolates me. Do you know there is actually a phobia where people won't get out of their house? Unbelief and fear will isolate me. What it does, it separates us from our connections. It separates us from our source, our strength, from our purpose, what God wants us to do. And, and, and I think that this is something that uh, the enemy's very good at. I tell you what, he's, he, he is so good at this. Because he knows if I can isolate them from their purpose, from their duties, from their relationships, then I have a better chance to take them down. We see it in nature all the time. You know what the enemy, the, the predators after, the young, the weak, the old, are those who separate from the herd. We raise cattle, and I've seen this so many times. I'm out feeding cattle, checking cattle, and sometimes they're all gathered up, and I'll see a coyote walk across the edge of the pasture or go down the creek, and inevitably this will happen almost every, every time those cows will raise up their head. They'll look that direction. Their ears will kind of perk up. And they'll watch that coyote. And they'll watch it go by. And I don't know cow language, but if I did, <laughs> I'm thinking this is what they're saying. Don't you come over here, buddy. I'm going to kick. Yeah. <laughs> These are my babies. These are our babies. Here, you come over here, you're in trouble. Nature teaches us that. Goodness gracious, that's the same way it is in the family of God. But this is what I know the enemy will do. He will offend you. He'll get you offended. He'll get you disappointed. He'll get you in conflict. And you'll do something really smart like this. I'm leaving and I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them. Do you realize, Pastor, somebody came in and sat in my place? This is where I always sit. How dare them sit in my place? This is my holy place. Do you know they walked right by me this morning, didn't even look at me, didn't shake my hand? 
Do you know they didn't invite me? They didn't, they didn't include me. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to show them I'm going to go home and I'm not coming back. Well, that'll show them. And the enemy's doing this. Why? He got you away from your protection, your covering, your friends who love you and pray for you so he can isolate you to try to kill you. He does it all of the time. And I wrote myself a note. Isolation takes us out of the very environment that we need to flourish. The enemy doesn't want you to flourish. He wants you to walk in fear and unbelief so that you don't get in an environment you can flourish and grow and be everything that you can be. Yeah, I mean, you do realize it's the banana that leaves the bunch that gets peeled, don't you? I mean, that's what happens. Unbelief and fear will begin to isolate you. And here's number seven. Unbelief and fear can kill our expectations. What happens when we quit believing, we quit expecting? Ladies, could you help me out this morning? You, you do realize only women that are expecting give birth. I thought you'd help me more than that, but that's okay. I'll take what I can get. Now, we men know that, but we sure don't know it like you do. Only women that are expecting ever give birth. Only the business that's expecting, only the firm that's expecting, only the office that's expecting, only the family that's expecting, only the church that's expecting will ever give birth. Only. But doubt and fear and unbelief will pull the seed out of your expectation and you will go through life never expecting anything but gloom and doom and trouble. And you and I need to go through life expecting something good. God is a good God. Oh yeah, I know I'm in, <laughs> I know I'm in Gath. I know I have glass sword strapped to me. But I am going to trust God over my fear. And we have to trust God. Psalm 5, verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will lay my request before you and wait expectantly. God, God you're, you're going you're to hear me in the morning. And all day long, guess what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to walk and I'm going to wait in expectation because you're going to do something good in my life. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 5, My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, my arms shall judge the people, the coastlands shall wait for me, and my arm they shall expectantly wait. Do you realize the arm of the Lord in the flesh is Jesus Christ? And, and he says, there is going to be an expectancy waiting for me to show up. Are you waiting for God to show up? Are you waiting for God to arrive? Are you looking for him to do something good in your life? Are you looking for him to birth something in you? I hope you are. I am in our church, aren't you? I mean, I'm glad you're here. I love you. I appreciate you. If you're here for the first time, we love you. We're glad you're here. But guess what? 
We're, we're going to be in a situation where you say, okay, let me give up my seat to somebody. Because I'm in expectation. And what happens if you're expecting? You're about to give birth to something. The new business, the greater business, the, the, the new company, maybe a baby boy or a baby girl or a new daughter or daughter-in-law or son or son-in-law. We don't know what that is. But I tell you what is better than just looking and say nothing is ever going to happen good to me. And that's looking for something good to happen to you. We're going to live in faith expecting. Let me close with this. Have you ever heard the name Yochi Yokoi? And I probably butchered the Japanese name, but uh, have you ever heard that name? Yochi was a Japanese soldier. And um, he was on the island of Guam. We've heard a lot about Guam the last week, haven't we? But Yochi, at the end of World War II, hid out in a cave for 28 years. This Japanese soldier was afraid to come out of hiding for 28 years until someone saw him and they found him 28 years later after the end of World War II. That's an amazing story. I, I looked it up and they showed pictures of Yochi getting his haircut after 28 years. What a haircut, huh? How about a nice shower and a bath after 28 years of bathing in the, in the river or the stream there by his cave? 28 years of eating off the jungle. Why is this guy in a hole in the ground for 28 years? Because he was afraid. Let me ask you a question. What cave you in today? Are you in a cave today? Cave of unbelief? Cave of fear? Cave of rejection, cave of disappointment, a cave that somebody put you in because they said you'll never amount to anything, you're ugly, you're stupid, whatever they, they said that's horrible, and they've tried to program your mind and your psyche and your spirit and your personality. What cave could we be in today that God is saying, don't stay in that cave? The war is over. How many of you know he's already won the war? You know, I have looked in the back of this book. We do win. As a matter of fact, we're not going to win then. We've already won now. So what cave could you be in today that's keeping you from whatever God wants you to be, become, or have that fear and unbelief has gripped you by? Bow your head with me, please. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.